This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship. Well, welcome back to Worship God. My name is Rob Brockman, and I'm once again joined by Jody Cross, and thank you for tuning in on this episode. We're glad you're here. Uh, Jody, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I first started playing worship, I was a young worship music, you know, I was young. First time I even started even playing music. I was like 15. I got a bass. My dad bought me a bass. And as soon as I could play a couple chords, I, I just thought God had called me to become like a famous rock star. And I, I remember actually thinking early on, even playing worship music and being like, you know, with my friend, we were like, we're going to be like the Canadian mm-hmm. version of Hillsong. And it was all about, you know, becoming a famous worship leader. You know, I don't know. Am I just a, that sinful or, you know, was that part of what, what <laughs> happened to you when you were a young person, you know, playing music? Yeah. Well, if that was what happened to you. I was even more sinful because I wasn't a Christian and I was 13 and it was my buddy and I, I played guitar. I think I knew three chords. I had a a, a loud amp and he played drums kind of, and we formed a band. So yeah, I, I too wanted to be a rock star. That was without Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I, but I, I do think that, you know, being a male particularly and playing a guitar and having a buddy who plays something loud, drums yeah. or something else, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to be a rock star. Oh yeah, absolutely. I still remember the guy that I first saw at a, at a friend at my high school who just looked cool playing guitar. And I was just like, man, like I want to be cool and I want to play electric. And there was something mm-hmm. just, I think you're right. Like as a guy, you just, we just were, we just wanted that. We just wanted that kind of achievement. Well, not, well we're not teenagers anymore. Praise mm-hmm. the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And now we've, we've grown, grown up, up a little. past that. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to honor the Lord and not ourselves. <laughs> and so, Let's talk a bit about this. You know, there's a great temptation that we can face in the worship ministry for this. Mm-hmm. You know, is where do we go in the Bible to find a model of somebody who rejected this kind of celebrity culture? I want to be famous, make it about me, and who kept their focus mm-hmm. on the Lord? And that's a great question to ask because the Bible says that God's a jealous God, that he doesn't share his glory with any other, and that mm-hmm. God is after no, not just us doing music, but us having the heart behind it. He mm-hmm. looks at the heart. And um, the uh, the fact that, that all of life is for the glory of God alone. So this is an important topic. Um, and um, if I was to look at, you know, someone maybe slightly off the beaten track biblically who, who I think helps us in this area, the first few chapters of John's gospel give a lot of attention to the person in the ministry of John the Baptist who... Hmm famously said some some people's you know life verse he must increase and i must decrease i think john's got a lot to tell us about mm. how to navigate this and how to steer clear of some of the pitfalls of the celebrity rock star culture that we uh, maybe had at one point of our life or maybe still feel like we're you know tempted to fall into yeah you know i think we often when we think about who's the first character in the bible that we want to talk about when it comes to worship you know we all go to david mm-hmm and but David kind of became a rock star in that sense, you know. David kind of became a famous songwriter. You know, you don't normally think of John the Baptist mm-hmm. right off right mm-hmm. off the top. And I think this is an important conversation because, you know, we live in a culture that loves celebrities. And and people today just want to mm-hmm. get famous 
just for the sake of being famous. Not even that they're talented at anything. They just want to become famous. And um, people want to be admired. People want to be loved and adored and imitated and worshipped. Absolutely. And uh, it's all around us. It's the, it's the air we breathe, the, the water we swim in. And worship leaders aren't immune from this. We still battle with our flesh. We still battle with the sinful nature. And it's, uh, it's in us, or at least around us. And it's, it's in the culture. And uh, the, I guess the rock star worship leader virus is out there wanting to infect our souls. Genesis 4 says that sin is at your door, knocking, seeking to, to have us, and we have to, to master it. And this, this uh, seeks you know, to creep into the doors of our churches and into our own, our own mm. hearts and lives too. In recent years, we've just seen a lot of examples of famous Christians and famous worship leaders and just falling from grace. And I've always found it fascinating that fame and wealth is such a temptation for us as humans, right? We're, we're, we're flawed, we're failed. You throw a lot of money and a lot of influence at somebody. And a lot of the time, we're just, we're not made for that. And yet, mm-hmm. even still in the church, we're still rewarded by doing a good job with these things with fame and fortune a lot of the time. And it's the very thing that could bring us down. And so, so we, we see worship leaders who become, you know, we start giving them praise and adoration because they're writing the best songs and their name is on the top of the CCLI charts. And we want to go to the concerts. We want to invite them to our conferences. And so it's like, the very thing that is dangerous for our souls is often mm. what we get rewarded in, for in the worship ministry a lot. We're of the time. in a battle for sure, and some, sometimes the greatest kindness of the Lord is just that that we stay humble and that we stay uh, almost unknown and mm. just serving faithfully uh, because you know God has is gifted us uh, and to serve in a small church in a, mm. in a way that's perhaps not really recognized by the outside world. And that's great. And, um, you know, the, uh, the temptation is all around us to try to be somebody who is, who is strong. Our sinful, sinful nature wants recognition. We want the limelight. There's glory to be had. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're warned in Romans chapter one of worshiping uh, the created thing rather than the creator, even, uh, deeper that we fight with is even the worship of self. And um, I read a quote by Matt Boswell. He said, how do worship leaders in local churches remain humble servants when an entire industry has been built around self-promotion, record sales, and concert tour dates? Mm-hmm. And so he just goes on to say that even in American church culture, uh, the platform has become the stage and the servant has become the celebrity. So, so, so what then does John the Baptist teach us about how worship leaders, like the, the quote just said, how do we stay humble servants? How can we as worship teams, worship leaders navigate these pitfalls? And how does John the Baptist kind of help us in that? Well, if you turn to um, John chapter one, the first uh, three chapters, particularly chapter one and three, it talks a lot about John's ministry. And in John 119 says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and didn't deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, oh, who are you? They didn't give up. Uh, We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight 
the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Hmm. And John the Baptist was the son of the priest Zacharias. He was the second cousin of Jesus, and he was a traveling preacher and a baptizer. And scripture says that people were coming out to him. Crowds were gathering to hear him. They were attracted to him and his preaching. And people were repenting. They were being baptized. And the crowds were talking and speculating and wondering and hoping that he was the Messiah they'd been looking for. You know, he was mm. this, he was a cultural phenomena. And in Luke 3.15, uh, Luke records as, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Mm. And so he was, he was causing quite a stir. Mm-hmm. He was this new, this new religious phenomenon in town. People were taking notice of him, even this, uh, this delegation of priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Uh, just seeing who who was he. And when the crowds heard all that he was saying and they saw that he was doing, they saw the impact of his life and the ministry that was having, they were they were absolutely wowed. It sounds a lot like what we've been talking about. You know, they were thinking, is this the one that we've been expecting, the one that, um, that we've been waiting for? And uh, there was a huge temptation in this. You know, I've always wondered when you read through the Gospels and you see this character of John the Baptist, and he's not, he's around for a couple chapters. In a way, he's hes featured prominently enough that makes, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you realize that he would have been a celebrity. Like everybody would have known about this guy in that mm-hmm. time. And and you don't quite get that from the Gospels, but then you kind of have to think about it and go, yeah, like John, there's a reason the, the gospel start off talking about John because people would have known, right, John the Baptist, he was that famous guy out in the wilderness and he was baptizing mm-hmm. people. And we don't might not often think that way about John the Baptist, but he was famous and then Jesus came along. Like he was a famous teacher. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious then, w- mm. what would have been some of the temptations that, that, he would have faced. What would be a temp- let's let's talk about a temptation that mm-hmm. John would have faced. Yeah, yeah. He. I was thinking as you're talking about that. He he rose to the the top of the CCLI chart, so to speak. He yes. was the person whose whose face was on every conference. Yeah. He was he was the guy, as you said. He yeah. he was the guy that everybody thought was it. And um, you know he he was just in the desert being humble and doing God's will and. The temptation that I see as I read particularly the first chapter of John was this, was who gets the glory? Mm. Who gets the glory? And that's a huge issue for the question is, you know, are we going to grab the glory or are we going to give it? And that was, I think, the temptation he had when the question was put to him, who are you? Like, what's, what's your identity? And what do you have to say about yourself? Mm. And in that moment, when everybody's watching and has asked you the question and everybody's listening, the ball is teed up and you're ready to take your best swing. Mm. And um, Roger uh, Fredrickson, a a commentator says this, he says, here's a great opportunity to confess Christ. You know, they're just waiting for his answer, but also a subtle temptation to hedge a little bit on his identity, to hold back a little, to create a false impression. His answer is unequivocal and decisive. Mm. And so he was tempted to say, you know what? Thank you for asking me about me. Thank right. you for noticing me. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing me and my gifts. Mm. And, you know, that's not what he started out at. But I think in those moments, we can kind of go, Thank you that the camera's on me for a while. Let me tell you about me. Right. 
well, I think if you, if I was John the Baptist, you know, you could just put yourself in his shoes. I mean, there's, there's certainly a temptation to believe your own hype. You know, you mm-hmm. start believing the stuff that people say about you and you could imagine him going like, well, you know, I, I am kind of like a refining fire in the, in Israel. I'm calling people to repent. That's I'm kind of functioning in a messianic kind of role. Like I do have mm-hmm. some prophetic things to say and That's right. yeah, the crowds are coming and I'm, I am actually, you know, Hey, maybe I am, you know, I'm, I'm somebody, it, it would have been very easy um, to believe that just like it is mm-hmm. for us today, when we start to get a little notoriety, when maybe our songs start to maybe make some impact, it's very easy to start to buy your, your own hype. But you use the phrase, you know, you, you know, you're teeing up the ball, you know, what does it do to us? What does that do to us as, as just fallen people when, mm-hmm. you know, that praise comes and there's that temptation to believe it. Mm-hmm. What does that do to us? Yeah. Yeah, that back to the question, are we going to grab it or are we going to give it? Hmm. Are we going to deflect the glory and reflect it back to the Lord? Or are we going to take it into our hearts that, you know, that that heart uh, craving for just for a- affirmation and for acceptance hmm. and getting our our sense of significance from that? Uh, and that's, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, but why we need to be rooted in Christ, because that's the source of our significance and our importance is that, that we're his his children, his much loved and graced children, rather than mm-hmm. saying, I need something more than Christ. I need people's uh, I need their impressions and I need their their attitudes about me. And there's such a danger in pop of popularity and prominence because uh, our pride seeks to capitalize on this platform, then we can begin to boast, boast of our ability, boast of the great ability that we have mm. and John had an ability. I mean, he had a speaking gift. He had a prophetic gift. Yeah. He he arrested people in in his speech and in his call. And you know, it's easy to boast about what we've done, but he'll actually go on to say that what do we have that we haven't been given functionally? You know, mm. a man only has what has come from above. And and then there's a temptation for us to exalt self by name dropping who we know, who knows us, what we've done. Mm. Stephen Miller, who wrote wrote a book on worship says, um, fame and glory are well-trained assassins, and they have slain many who have pursued them hmm. for themselves. And, and we know, we've seen it in the media, that celebrities have disastrous lives. They, they don't know who they are, and many people who experience fame, they end up blowing up mm-hmm. in the process. And I think that platform ministry is a test, <clears throat> and recognition is a test, and then we can begin to feed off it in an unhealthy way, so... Mm. Uh, think about what Bob Coughlin said. He said, whether we're up in front of 10 people or 10,000, we can all crave the same thing, attention. We want to be the center of the world, even if for a few moments, thinking that we deserve at least a portion of the mm. glory that rightly belongs to God alone. We often think, oh, I can't struggle with this. Like I'm only in a small church and I only have like, you know, I'm a worship leader and in like my little college or my school and like that. I don't deal with this, but it's a mindset. It's a heart set. It's, it's not like, oh, once I have 200 people in a building, now I'm going to be tempted by this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just what's in my heart. What, and what is, what's mm-hmm. happening in that group of 30 people? And is that, is that temptation within me? And am I resisting it and fighting it and humbling myself like John did and having right perspective? Or am I going to use any at all, any, any opportunity to take the limelight? What, what are, what are the dangers 
then you talked about the dangers. What are the dangers of praise and limelight then? Uh, Proverbs 27, 21 rightly says, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. Hmm. And a man is tested by his praise. Hmm. And, you know, those words of affirmation, we need encouragement. We need affirmation. But if we live for it and we love it, and we serve for it with that motive, uh, we're, we're in trouble because, you know, we, Scripture says that we make it our aim to please the Lord, mm-hmm. and our, our commendation comes from the Lord just assuring us that we're being faithful. And uh, I, I love the fact that the Bible t- says that we are just unworthy servants, mm-hmm. you know, and the, uh, the psalmist says, I would just rather be a I'm happy to be a doorkeeper yeah. in the house of the Lord. Like, let me, let me sweep for Jesus. You know, let me, yeah. <laughs> let me clean up after the church service is over. Yeah. And as musicians, as worship leaders, what we do is highly visible. Mm. We're on the platform and we're on the platform, as we've just talked about, in a culture that loves platforms and loves musicians. And so we lead songs of worship and we use music and our culture loves music. And as you said, for John... And for us, the temptation is to remain humble and to humble servants uh, when our hearts and sometimes people want to make something much greater than than we we are. And um, we're tempted to steal this glory. So the temptation is to to seek the fame and prominence. And I once heard um, uh, Brian Dirksen say that uh, when I first felt called to do this ministry more than 20 years ago, I wanted to perform music on big stages, mm-hmm. uh, but God quickly called me to be all about worship, which is really uh, notice God, don't notice me. Yeah, and, and I think that's the that's the danger of the limelight is that we want people to notice us, and I don't know that we ever actually escape that. I don't think it's ever that giant is ever fully slain in our lives. I think we we fight that all the time. Every every time we're we're leading every time we we're singing music in front of other people. Yeah. Uh, there's that temptation to look for the applause, and uh, you know I, I read this uh, this analogy by uh, Max Lucado in his book. It's actually quite good, called um, "It's Not About Me," and he just tells a story of this tour guide who works in an art art um, gallery, and this individual is really just there to help people to direct them to the painting, to tell a little bit about the artist to tell some of the things to look for and then to step aside and let people get lost in the painting. But as the story goes, this individual gets so good at what they do and they're so eloquent that they begin to tell lots of stories as the expert standing in front of the painting. And suddenly they have thought that and they have become really the focus of attention rather than Mm -hmm. the artist and the art itself. And they steal the limelight and steal the glory and that's the subtle thing that can happen in our life. We step in front of the cross and we step in front of the, the glory of Jesus thinking, hey, they've come to hear, to hear me. Yeah. I was thinking about that, this idea this week, even in the, in the way in how we um, have in modern churches um, designed our sanctuaries you know, I think, I think we've often leaned towards dark sanctuaries, dark, dark back walls. And I think the, the, what I believe that the focus of that is the reason we do that is we're trying to get rid of distractions 
so that we're not focused on all these things happening around. It's just, we're able to focus on Christ. We're able to focus on singing, focused on the preaching of the word. I think that's the intention. But in order to accomplish that, you need to put stage lights on, therefore, and you need colors. Mm -hmm. So then you add lighting. Well, one of the unintended consequences of that is you end up now making the focal point the people at the front. Even though you're trying, I don't think anybody who has a black wall in their sanctuary and lighting is trying to draw attention away from Jesus. I don't think that's their point at all. But it's one of the unintended consequences is actually the temptation. It can be very easy in that moment to then make the worship team the focus, to make the worship leader, to make the pastor the focus. You're not trying mm-hmm. to do that. Like we instinctively know that's mm-hmm. that's wrong. Yeah. And yet we can easily fall into that trap sometimes. And you're right. It's an ongoing battle that we got to constantly check ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and John, I think, as you're pointing out, is a good example of somebody who just constantly kept that in Yeah, and check. it starts in the heart, the heart of humility, knowing your place. John had a high place, and this was the calling and the, the exalted place that God had for him. But he knew that the highest place was reserved for Christ alone. Mm. And he knew that no matter what people said about him or what he was even tempted to believe about himself and his gifting, that Christ was supreme. Mm. And he knew it was on on the mind of his questioners but he faced it head on which was the glory question and he stated unequivocally he said i am not the christ you know i'm not i'm not the messiah i'm not the anointed one mm. and in him saying that he was not he was saying that jesus is that he is the promised messiah and that the glory is for him and not for us and we, we have to have that thing locked and nailed down because, um, you know, we don't want people to be looking at us. I saw a picture, I think painted in the 1500s. I don't remember the name of the artist, but there's a, a picture of, of John the Baptist. And uh, he's got a, a long arm and a long, uh, a long and bony finger pointing mm-hmm. away from himself. And he's pointing to the cross. And... You know, it was just, it, it's basically this artist's portrayal of uh, actually this text we're in, mm. that John was very quick to be pointing people away from himself and standing aside and just saying, you know, look, and obviously John actually didn't make it to the cross, but John could see in his own mind's eye that Jesus was the, the Lamb of God mm-hmm. who would take away the sins of the world, and he could see that Christ would be crucified as a sacrifice, and he was sure with all that he had to point away from himself to to Christ so that people would actually not look to him, but look to Christ. Uh, he was a signpost. He was a pointer that people would forget about him and, and see Jesus. Well, that's even what it says in, in Acts 13. It says, uh, it says that, as and as John was finishing his course, he said, why do you suppose that I am? No, the Messiah, I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whom, whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Like, think of that position. Mm-hmm. He's he's saying, I'm not, mm-hmm. no, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his, his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do the work of a slave for him. Like, he is completely putting himself in comparison to the only worthy one. He's saying, I am mm-hmm. not anywhere near him. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he delighted, you know, he wasn't forced to that low place. He delighted in doing it. Yeah. He, um, he even actually resisted, uh, 
he even resisted the pull of his own disciples who were a little spun out about the fact that people were not coming to him anymore. They were getting diverted to this other man who was on the scene, uh, Jesus. And John just loved that, that he took this, this task or this title of, of slave and the task of, you know, I just want to serve his feet and I just Mm -hmm. want to be his bowed before him. Um, and he realized, you know, he again, he realized how great God was and he, he couldn't get low enough. And again, he said, he must increase. He must get higher and higher in my thinking and I must get lower and lower in my thinking and, mm. and understand my spot. Um, Nick um, Cook, who's a blogger, wrote this. Uh, he says, um, as fallen creatures, we're constantly making the same sinful mistake our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in believing that we should be something we're not and make a grab for God's glory. Um, We're trying to exalt ourselves because we feel we deserve or need something we're being deprived of. And he says, ultimately, this is a worship problem. We're trying to dethrone others and set ourselves up higher instead of humbling ourselves and putting to death our pride and letting God rule and reign and give us our value. Mm. And John was just an amazing example of that that he was able to step off that throne and off of that platform very quickly and to realize that his value was from who he was before God as, as a son and that he knew his place. So there are these temptations that we definitely have to fight against, but also such encouragement in the scriptures, you know, they tell us that, that it can be done. Well, so that's the first temptation is to take that and grow proud from that and to believe your own hype. Um, what would be an, what's another temptation um, mm. that we would face that someone like John faced in this? Mm-hmm. Well, he, he used this analogy as a bridegroom or, or the, the friend of the bridegroom. And the temptation, I think, is do we steal the attention and the affection of others? Mm. Do, do, we, do we want it to be on us? You know, you just imagine at a wedding, if the best man uh, is vying for the affection of the bride uh, when she is next to her bridegroom. And I think that's a, a picture that John gives us. And so here's the test that came to John. I mentioned a second ago that the people were leaving John to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and John's own key leaders uh, let John know that he was actually taking a back seat in second place to Jesus. And even they, and they would become, some of them would become Jesus' disciples. <laughs> they didn't want John to be abandoned while the crowds were flocking to this new teacher. And we see this in John 3, uh, verses 25 to 27. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and he says this, and all are going to him. Hmm. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it was given to him from heaven. And so they were, they were pretty spun about this. And uh, was John feeling uh, challenged or did he feel like there was competition? Did he feel like, hey, this is wrong? And, you know, the answer is absolutely not. He, he said, really, functionally to his disciples, I expected this. I'm simply a messenger. I'm a herald, an announcer, a forerunner. I'm sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And while they were jealous and envious, he said, I'm not jealous, and don't you be either. Mm. The fact that Jesus is more popular than us is exactly how it is supposed to be. 
And he would go on to say to them that our joy is to point people to him. And if we can come to that place where we say, my highest joy is to point people to Jesus through how God's gifted me, the platform Mm -hmm. he's given me, and that I keep pride and ego in check, and that I want my life, my music, my behavior on and off the platform to represent Christ and to point people to him. If, if that's the place we get to, uh, that, that's absolutely amazing. Mm. And, and I think we, you know, we need to beg and plead with the Lord to continue to purify us. I remember um, hearing Joe Stoll, who was president of um, yeah, Moody Bible College and then went on to Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, and, and he said this uh, a number of years ago. He says, I'm only 57, but my insecurities still trouble my soul. And the praise of others has an increasingly hollow ring. He writes, I'm tired of worrying about what people think about me. I'm weary of the carnal feeling that sometimes haunts me when someone talks about his favorite preacher and it's not me. (laughs) He says, bottom line, I am just flat out tired of me. (laughs) And praise God that, you know, he's, the Lord is working in our lives to to change us and Mm -hmm. that we will not be all about us, but we will be about him. Yeah, it's scary how that, when we don't have our confidence rooted in Christ, we can end up being a distraction from Jesus because we now we now we need to draw the attention because we're looking for that confidence from others. We're looking for that mm-hmm. attention. So I need you, Jody, to give me praise because I don't know who I am. I'm not confident in who God made, made me. I don't I don't trust mm-hmm. in, in who he has called me to be. And so now I need that from other people. Well, where does that glory, that glory gets diverted from Jesus, especially we're in a when we're in a leadership position. And I, I find it can be very dangerous when you're leading a congregation, you're on stage. It can be very easy to rely on your personality, mm-hmm. to rely mm-hmm. on your ability to work a crowd, rely on your ability to make people laugh as opposed to leading people in worship, helping them mm-hmm. not see how great of a leader I am, but how good of a God and how great of a savior Jesus is. And that temptation, it's, it's, it's very, it's a very easy temptation to fall into. And so I think this brings up an important question, which is, are we prepared to fade into the background? Mm -hmm. You know, when people come to church, are we prepared to, even though there might be lights on us to not believe that, that we are what's important, Mm -hmm. that we're not in competition with Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. and that this isn't a, this platform isn't a personal image booster. You know, Bob, uh, Coughlin in an article on his website says, what gives us meaning and purpose is not what we do for God or for others, but what God has done for us in sending his son to atone for our sins and deliver us from our sinful selves. He has freed us from being fixated on our own lives to be overwhelmed and undone by his goodness, his greatness, and his beauty. And we can't think and act like rock stars and exalt the crucified Messiah at the same time. And so I think that's, we need to get that in our minds when we're leading worship or we're preaching or whatever we're doing, we're serving. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, I can't, I can't get attention and, and praise and glory and give it to Jesus at the same time. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Jody, what would what would maybe be uh, another temptation that John the Baptist would have faced? Mm-hmm. Um, self exaltation for self promotion would be one I would think of. And back to John, John three twenty seven, 
we read this a second ago. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing hmm. unless it's given to him from heaven. And we just realize that God gives us these abilities and he gives us these opportunities and he can take them away just mm-hmm. as fast as they, they came. And I know from experience that you can sense when someone is, I mean, there's just a, a sense of the air uh, about a person if, if there's an arrogance and a pride mm. and it's, it's a bit of a show, a personal show. And there's a, I would say there's a smell of ego. There's a sense of ego. And, and likewise, wonderfully so, there's a sense where you can tell when a person's walking in humility, when it's not about them. And there's a, there's a yeah. beauty about servanthood. And John understood that. He said, you know, I, I only have, I'm only doing what God gave me. And so he wasn't exalting, uh, in, and he wasn't boasting in his own strength. He wasn't relying on what he could do because he knew these were just expressions of the grace of God and, and the gifting that God had given him. Mm. And, you know, God gives life and breath and everything we have comes from him. And First um, Peter 4, 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another mm. as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we, uh, we don't exalt ourselves because of the boasting in ourselves, but we just say, hey, I am who I am, Romans 15, 10. I am who I am by the grace of God. Mm. I think it's Romans fifteen ten, or maybe it's first first Corinthians fifteen ten, uh, one of those two. And uh, <laughs> just that you know, by the grace of God, we we are who we are. And maybe I, I would just end with the statement that the psalmist says, "Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name mm. give glory," and uh, that God would be glorified in everything that we do through Christ. And just the uh, we would be faithful to serve with the heart of John. And with all the grace that God gives us to serve faithfully and passionately and diligently so that Christ would get more glory, that he would increase, that we would decrease. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's our job. Our worship as a worship leader, our job is to deflect the glory, to make Jesus look great, to make, to present people with a unadulterated, pure view of Christ and let them just glory and dwell in it and not get in the way. My previous um, senior pastor would always tell me like unobtrusive worship is like what we're shooting mm. for. It's just, we mm-hmm. want to be obtrusive. We want to get out of the way just so uh, Jesus is seen and delighted in. And so this is, uh, this has been a great conversation. This is part one of our discussion, just to talk about some of the temptations that um, John, John faced, who was a man who said he must increase and I must decrease. And so we're going to come back, we're going to do a second part, and we're going to talk a bit more about how John fought these temptations um, by just understanding who he was, his identity in Christ. And so please join us again on our next episode for that. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We pray it's been a blessing. So join us again for the next episode. God bless you. Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ-exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.